0: What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for today's episode, which is 179, according to the spreadsheet that I just checked, we continue with our trek through Gene Wolfe's Shadow of the Torturer. Pardon, the Shadow of the Torturer. On the table today are chapters 23 through 27 for discussion, which is part six of our Book of the New Sun. Uh, coverage And now I'm taking a step back immediately, preemptively, to get a much-needed recap from Drew. Dude, <laughs> let's recap. Yeah,
1: yeah. We pick up the shadow of the Torturer as Severian is helped out of the water after saving Terminus Est. But his savior isn't Agia. Rather, it's a woman he's never seen before named Dorcas. The three of them are met by a man named Hildegrin the Badger who agrees to carry them across the lake to pick Severian's Avern. Along the way, Hildegrin tells them about the Garden of Endless Sleep and the Cumaean, the witch who lives there and can tell the future. They arrive on the far shore, and Severian picks his Avern before finding a second to practice with. He finally remembers why Hildegrin is familiar. He's the man who was with Vodilus and Thea in the Necropolis all those years ago. They sail back, and even though Severian tries to talk to Hildegren about Vodalus, Hildegren shuts him down. Dorcas continues on with Severian and Agia, despite Agia's attempts to drive her off. They leave the Botanic Gardens and make their way north to the Sanguinary Field, stopping briefly at the Inn of Lost Loves. Severian dries his clothes and orders dinner for Agia after the duel, while Dorcas takes a bath. Agia comes on to Severian, but he's distracted by a note hidden in their tray of wine and pastries. Agia desperately tries to get him to destroy the note, but he spurns her advances and reads it anyway, only to be confused by it. Before he can spend much more time figuring out the note, however, they they have to leave for the duel as the sun is setting. The Septentrion awaits, and the duel commences. Severian finds himself quickly on the ground, hallucinating, with an Avern leaf embedded in his chest. When he doesn't die and sits up, however... The Septentrion flees and uses his own Avern to clear a path through the crowd.
0: Yeah, I wasn't expecting the duel to actually happen as we were heading into it. I, I, I thought it would take a lot longer than it actually did. On my e-reader, it was, I think, two, two and a half pages. Not even. Uh,
1: yeah, it's extraordinarily quick.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> considering the uh, just the, the, the length of the day that we have been in so far. I mean, it's, it's taken us, what, through 20 some odd chapters. Um. Well, not quite that many, but just for, you know, ending, for example, chapter 26, the second last, the penultimate chapter for today's discussion, I was like, okay, we're heading into it. We're going to end right when the duel is about to begin. And no, no, it just kind of kicks off right towards the end of chapter 27 and it's done almost immediately. And I am left so confused with so many questions as to just, (laughs) as to the order of events that ended up with Severian on the ground and hallucinating when at last we saw that was not what was happening. I was just so blown away, so. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I think that's, like, the first style, uh, the biggest style thing to discuss is how Wolf writes this duel. You know? Yeah. We we get, you know, so much buildup, as you said, like, almost 11 chapters between when the challenge is offered and when the duel actually takes place. And then the duel, like you said, is over in... A, a page basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. I just and I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So I'm going to state this order of events, and I want you to confirm these for me because I, I I have to be misinterpreting this. Uh-huh. His leaf, his his avern leaf strikes the septent the septentrions leaf, and they slice uh-huh. each other up in like an instant, and then they kind of just dissolve into colors. And then yes. Severian feels what he thinks is another person's warm back pressed against his, and then the colors that he's seeing from the leaves that just got torn up or dissolved become the colors of the sky. And he's looking up defeated. That's uh-huh. what happened. Okay. I just, yeah, it was so, such a weird paragraph. I just needed to make sure I interpreted that correctly. Okay.
1: Yeah. Like, so the Averns obviously are not, uh, they're, they are extraterrestrial plants. They're alien Okay. And plants. I have another
0: question on that later.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cause I and, don't understand uh, the reasoning for that. And but there's okay. some sort of like, um, perception f- fascination with them. Like, they they warp the way you perceive them. Like, mm-hmm. when Severian is going to pick them, he's like, oh yeah, I have plenty of room, and then realizes oh my gosh, no, I don't. I'm about to impale myself on one oh. of these leaves, you know? I thought they were just and, a lot
0: sharper than he had thought. Okay.
1: And he, mm-hmm. every time he talks about looking at the flower and the pattern of the flower bud yeah. on the Avern, it, it like enraptures him. It distracts him, and so what I believe happened in in the duel is that he throws this leaf at the same time the Septentrion throws the leaf, and we'll get to the Septentrion in a minute. But uh, <laughs> and the leaves like like carve each other up, and Severian yeah. is distracted by this, and he is he's like glued to watching these leaves act so in, in such an alien way. And while he's distracted, the Septentrion plucks another leaf and hits him in the chest with it.
0: Oh, okay. I can see him being mesmerized by that random effect and then yeah. not realizing... Getting even some sort of sedative effect, perhaps. So some twilight sedative effect of it actually immediately hitting him and then not recalling yeah. the actual impact. And then we know mm.
1: that the Averns are poisonous. You know, we, we see uh, the effect they have on like everything around them in in the lake, right? Uh, where there's like all these dead birds and animals and and even the like when an avern touches regular earth grass it like kills an entire patch of grass like just from slicing one little blade it the the poison is that powerful and that fast acting and so the uh, there there are two things happening at the end of this duel um that kind of go hand in hand. This poison is incredibly powerful and alien and fast acting. So that's why Severian is hallucinating as a result I... of the poison. But also the Septentrion cannot believe that he's not dead. Cause it's like, like this stuff always kills every time. Like yeah. it, it, I just... without fail, it kills. And then Severian like just sits back up and he's like, Oh shit. And runs. And, and when people try to block his way, the Septentrion starts just like, carving through them with his own Avern and kills a bunch of people to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so there are, and, and we can talk more about <clears> some <throat> of the story details of that scene, but, but sticking on the writing style of this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is another example of how Wolf uses his unreliable narrator. In this case, he's unreliable because he's literally like poisoned and hallucinating. And, uh, but to, confuse us to create a puzzle for us to to grab these disconnected pieces and somehow fit together and fill in the blanks because we don't have all the pieces to put you know to put together in a complete image we have to fill the gaps ourselves and and this duel i i think is maybe the most uh um emblematic of that maybe (laughs) uh the most the boldest Decision okay. yeah. of this type so far in the book, where so far, like so much of the book has been building up to this one moment, and then he doesn't really tell us what happened in this moment,
0: you know. Hmm. And his memory never fails him, never, never, ever. So, hmm. so, um, hmm. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. There I mean, may be some reasons why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Obviously, this is probably he's probably referring to just his his natural mental state and being able to record everything correctly. I don't think he would at this point claim himself immune to sedatives. But yeah, it's yeah. it's an interesting distinction, especially considering this is being written not in the moment. This is being explained later, far yes. down the road, when he has already yes. asserted so many times the quality of his memory. So it's it's an it's an odd choice, and it's mm-hmm. it's worth discussing. So I'm glad we I'm glad you brought that up actually. Yeah, and,
1: and my other big uh, kind of style point here is the way Wolf uses mystery in this book, uh, especially through this entire section of the story, starting with Severian entering the rag shop and being challenged to the duel up through now, where there are questions that the narrative raises. You know, why is aggia helping him? Why did the Septentrion challenge him? Uh, what is going on with the note what happened in the lake because the last chapter that we read titled Dorcas uh ends with severian being dragged down under the water and then we get a time jump to the beginning of the chapter Hilderen where Severian is now being dragged out of the water you could you could uh, perhaps you know read that he is um Lost consciousness uh,
0: is how I interpreted that.
1: You you could you could read it that way. You could also read it that he was disoriented at the end, and the hand was actually pulling him up, not down. Ah, got you, got you. Um, you could also read it as he just skipped all the craziness in the water and and went to. <laughs> I would love it. The point where he's it. getting pulled out. But uh, any way you put it, we again we don't have a complete picture of what happened. In the water, there, you know, mm. whether it's, it's true. because Severian doesn't have the complete picture or because he chooses not to give us the complete picture, there are mysteries that he keeps building up throughout uh, this whole segment. And at the end of this chapter, at least one of those mysteries is answered. Really, a couple of the mysteries are answered. Yeah. Uh, and and so here, I want to talk about the note that is left in
0: the end. What did the, you make the of biggest that? mystery? The one that makes no sense. I I, I regret that I, I totally told myself to write down the actual phrasing of the of the note, and I totally forgot.
1: Uh, I've but I've got it right here.
0: Go for it. The
1: woman with you has been here before. Do not trust her. Trudeau says the man is a torturer. You are my mother. Come again. So mm. this this note is obviously not uh, designed for Severian to read it.
0: How how obviously? Because Severian is not a mother? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess I don't know. Like, what about with reincarnation? But
1: Severian at first assumes that it's for him, because he's like, it was put it was hidden on the tray in such a manner that only somebody Only I could see it. Yeah, only I could see it. Of course he has forgotten that, or not forgotten, but isn't considering that Dorcas was sitting right next to him. So this this note is meant for Dorcas. There are notes throughout this chapter. That indicate Agia has been at this inn before. She's got like she shares like a look, yeah. With she shares the a look innkeeper.
0: with the in- yes, yes, and
1: yeah, and like and and when the note appears, Agia is like freaking out about. It. She's like, "Don't read it! Don't read it! Don't read it!" Because it's she so thinks sus. she's being outed, and Severian mistrusts her at this point, but he acts kind of weird about it, like. You know, he he brings up, you know, I, I asked you if the Septentrion is your lover and you said, no, I believe you. I still believe you. But I, I know you're you're plotting against me somehow. I just don't know how. Yep. And then did in you between, catch what happened in the duel?
0: Well, I caught what happened at the end of the duel, how she's screaming her brother's name as the Septentrion is fleeing. What, uh-huh. What's up with that? The Septentrion is Agilus. That's what I figured. I just like—is yeah. um, that what you're uh, referring, referring to when you said, "Did you catch what happened?" Or you, you mean right. during the duel itself? But but when you go back to the beginning of the,
1: the when the Septentrion challenges Severian, Severian is talking with Agilus. The Septentrion in that first yeah. scene was Agia. She had just left the room, and she went and put on a costume, and then came Bruh. back in because the Septentrion never says a word oh. to him there.
0: Oh. Oh
1: my God! And I have clue, to admit, the clue here uh, at the beginning of the duel is that Severian describes the Septentrion's helmet. He says, "Like most cavalry helmets, it left the ears bare to better hear the." And that little greil, greisel—I don't know that word—and uh, yeah, the orders words. of the wearer's superiors in the shadow behind the cheekpiece, I thought I saw a narrow band of black and tried to recall where I had seen such a thing before.
0: I caught that.
1: Agilus wore a mask that had black ribbons tying it to his behind his ears. But when he took the mask off, Severian noticed he still had like whether they were tattoos or something, he still had those black ribbons.
0: Hmm. No, there's something going on with these too, man. I'm.
1: So this entire thing was a ploy to get Termin assessed. And that's oh, why yeah. Agia goes off with him. She spends the whole day trying <gasps> to get him there, but get him there in bad shape for a duel. She's trying to get him drunk at the inn. She's trying to get him to sleep with her right before the duel, so yeah. that he'll be all, like, exhausted and, you know. And, uh,
0: okay, and that... <clears throat> but that then, when he refuses I have to
1: sleep with her, uh, he refuses to sleep with her, and he brings up that he... Like, knows Votalus and saved Votalus' life, Agia starts freaking out and tries to start convincing him not to do the duel. Cause she's like, if we go through with this, and Votal this this dude is some like, you know, important person to Votalus, we could get in tons of trouble. Like Votalus could come
0: hunt us down. Yeah. For the challenge the challenge only came after he denied selling or refused to sell Terminus Est for yep. even such an apparently exorbitant price.
1: Yep. Uh. Yeah. So we finally get some answers here, but we don't get all the answers because there's still something very weird about this letter. You are my mother. Come again. But Dorcas. Yeah. That's they, they talk about it. Dorcas is only like 16 or 17.
0: Uh, this is, this, yeah, but I mean, she's also a mystery girl that popped up literally out of nowhere and has no recollection of how she got there. I am not yep. for an instant seriously considering that this girl is what she appears to be or that she is only 16 or 17, as I think Adya guessed, 16 or 17. Yeah. So, hmm. I don't know, man. <laughs> so I will say there are
1: there are clues enough to figure out who she is right now.
0: Yes. Ooh, that's interesting to know. That's very interesting to know. Okay, I would not have expected that. I'm going to have to resist the temptation to go go through some of them. No, don't. Don't. Oh, well, am I am I going to reread though? Uh, give, (laughs) give me a light, a light hint, or sorry, not, but one of the less
1: the chapter in which Severian starts drowning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the chapter at the end of which a hand grabs him and pulls him down from under the water the chapter is named Dorcas, Dorcas. Yeah.
0: and he also felt a woman observing him an unseen woman observing him earlier my prediction last episode I think was that that was Dorcas because we hadn't met her yet properly um,
1: at the so... beginning of the chapter titled Dorcas they mm-hmm. run into a man looking for his wife, an old man looking for his wife and he's been looking for her for over 15 years, and her name is Cass, C-A-S.
0: Oh, that was too much of a hint. That was too much of a hint. Oh, unless I'm supposed to have picked up on that already. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's, it's, it's oh. one of those,
1: oh. you know, uh, the, the sort of thing that, like a Brandon
0: Sanderson hiding in plain sight. You should have waited till the end of the episode and then told me. Remember what the old guy's name? The old guy said his wife's name was. Just think on that. Just think on that. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Um, yeah. As far as style goes, I only had two style points, and one of them I actually don't want to bring up until we actually talk about Hildegren. Um. Mm. So the only other one I had left for this segment is actually just really small. It's it might even just be nitpicky. I think it's it's just a quirk of one sentence in particular. It just it's a sentence that sounded awkward and redundant to me even after several rereads okay but this is coming from gene wolf so i'm just assuming this is something that i don't have the the, the <laughs> literary acumen to understand um this is near the end of chapter 24 immediately after severian recognizes who hildegren is and where he's seen him before there's a page break and then we get another long paragraph to start and that one has and i quote by the use of language of sorrow, I had for the time being obliterated my sorrow. So powerful is the charm of words that etc., etc. goes on. it goes on. I can personally guarantee that if I had written that sentence myself and handed it in as part of a, a high school English assignment or writing assignment, every single teacher I've ever had would have highlighted both of those sorrows in that same sentence and said, redundant, find another word or find a way to turn it into the subject of the sentence and then just use it. On the repeat, don't use the word sorrow twice in one sentence. So what is it that makes this acceptable in this case? What quirk is Gene Wolfe employing? What esoteric reasoning is there for us to accept this double sorrow? That sounds awkward when I say it out loud. See, I think it, it even goes beyond this. You have to take the context of
1: the whole paragraph in mind because he actually uses mm-hmm. sorrow uh, again, or, or rather right before this sentence. He says, only a short time before, I had poured out to Agia all my sorrow at the death of Thecla. Okay, so the sorrow permeates a sentence of the paragraph. And I found I had poured it out indeed, as a man might spill sour wine on the ground. By the use of the language of sorrow, I had for the time being obliterated my sorrow. So powerful is the charm of words, which for us reduces to manageable entities all the passions that would otherwise madden and destroy us. So here... The specific use of the word sorrow is important because A, he's talking about language um, being symbolic of
0: emotion, and he's talking about a very specific emotion, his sorrow. Oh my god, I love that you use the word notion because I actually rewrote the sentence myself and wrote of that notion in the second time of sorrow. Oh my goodness. I just, you're right. Okay, so I can see that sorrow itself permeates the paragraph as the subject, and so you can... It's a it's a theme of the paragraph, yeah. In, in in general, okay. And and it's really funny you brought this up
1: because that I I have that highlighted and that was my passage of the week.
0: Oh no, <laughs> was it? I'm sorry. Yeah. I no no, it's it's fine. But uh, this is
1: a really good chance to talk about it. Like I. It means that
0: it stood out. Yeah.
1: It, again, it's it's one of those situations. I think it goes beyond just you know having that very specific emotion being described as sorrow, as Severian sorrow. It's it's a symbol, and he's using metaphor to describe how he's dealing with it. But yeah. again, it's Wolf um, having this just incredible touch with rhythm in his sentences. And the repetition of sorrow in that first yes. sentence, by the use of the language of sorrow, I had for the time being obliterated my sorrow. Yes, and, and I love the way that you a pronounce way it. way that moves that sentence. You're right,
0: because I didn't read it in that in that way. I read it. If anybody wants to go back and listen, I don't know if you would, but go back and listen to the way I pronounced that sentence versus the way that Drew just pronounced it. You put more of an emphasis on sorrow both times, so you maintained that as the subject of the paragraph. And what mm-hmm. the theme that he's talking about is rather, I was just kind of reading through it because I hadn't really considered, I hadn't written down the entire paragraph. I actually forgot what the context of the paragraph was. And so that's yeah. very evident in the way that I delivered it. I just said sorrow twice, but drew you emphasize sorrow both times. And I think that if I just yeah. read it like that, it would have actually exactly. made a lot more sense to me.
1: And on top of that, the, the kind of, he gets almost meta with this where he goes on. So powerful is the charm of words. And it, it's <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah stated as a truism by Severian in this passage, but we can look at it on a higher level as writers, as readers, knowing that we can use words to represent emotions and to uh to deal with emotions. We can incite emotions in others with words. We can read things. Sorry, I think our cat is uh, having a little bit. Of a, is that the key? Is that Severian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, we can we can use words to comfort ourselves in in times of sorrow, or or use words to manage our emotions. And this is Severian speaking about it in a very particular instance, but at the same time, Wolf speaking about it on a on a bigger level.
0: Mm. I love it. I also love that I I began that one by saying. You know, this is a very narrow, this is a very small thing. Might even be pedantic. I don't know. But this this actually ended up giving us one of our, uh, one of my favorite style discussions so far in this Gene Wolf book.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. That I was that was great. Kind of I'm glad you brought my it mind.
0: up. No, it was, we- that was awesome. I was just expecting this to be like an 18 second. No, no, it works because this and that. And then we just go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's cool. Okay. Um, I'm done with my style points. Well, I'm done with the ones that I want to bring up. I, I have another one to bring up on the character of... Uh, Hildegrin. I almost said Hildebrand. Hildegrin, um, cool. but that'll come later. Uh, yeah, shall we get into our language discussion? Let's do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to start favorite. this off with with whatever that word was, Greil, Greisel.
0: Yes, I don't that, that word. That one's like my thirteenth or fourteenth one down here. Um, yeah, I would pronounce it Greil myself. A trumpet and honestly, used
1: in signaling.
0: Nope. Yeah, so the, the, are you reading the uh, ancient French, though? Because it has a uh, very, very art, like archaic French kind of... Not archaic, but uh, old French etymology. But it actually oh. means something slightly different. Um, it Because I, I had to search down for this. Apparently it means, and this makes a lot more sense in the context, to frizzle, crackle, or crumple. This is a harsh grating noise. And it was used to describe someone's voice, I believe. So hmm. that would make a little more sense. But yeah, I had that exact same reaction when, when when I looked it up and I'm like, the trumpet, this doesn't make any sense in context. I don't think. I seem to recall reading it as describing someone's voice or someone's call when he entered the... Uh, the In the, uh, in oh the actual scene in the book? No, it
1: definitely makes sense as a trumpet, because it's for a, a cavalry. It? and It's talking about how Caval, these specific cavalry helmets leave the ears uncovered so they can hear the, the trumpet when they're G-O-P- being signaled in maneuvers. I'm looking at because I seem like to most make it helmets. Was like,
0: it left the ears bare to better hear the grile to the the grile and the shouted orders of the wearers superiors. So I had consider I had equated grile with the shouted orders, mm. but grile and the shouted orders could be distinct. I like the, I actually kind of like the way you interpreted it yeah. <laughs> and it didn't take anywhere near as much Googling for me to for, for that one. Okay. All right. Uh, all right.
1: So the the second one that I want to go to uh, is related here, and that is Senate, uh, ah. which is the name oh, of the second to last chapter, chapter totally twenty. Forgot to look that one up. Yeah, because it's the, uh, name of the chapter because that word is not used at all in that chapter.
0: I thought it was going to be a name, and I forgot about it.
1: Right, but a Senate huh. is a trumpet flourish used to cue an actor whoa
0: and oh. so this is like a, <gasps> a really
1: there oh there, it's meta ex- yeah multiple meanings again we get the literal trumpet calling at the certain time of day to signal you know like the gates being closed at the wall of nessus but also you know being the the like unofficial summoning of the combatants for for the duels of the day but on top of that we have this you know to cue an actor and this is like a stage thing. Right. And, and when we look at this story uh, as, as like a production, a stage production, it's indicating, you know, the arrival or, or a change in an actor or the arrival of an actor. And hmm. this is Severian as an actor being cued to come onto the stage for his duel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I also love even, the fact...
1: I mean, you you could you could find other meanings for different uh characters in this chapter as well, but I think Severian is the main one being cued here. <laughs> I
0: also love that the last uh the last chapter that we had speaking on chapter names, if was that we had for today was Is He Dead? <laughs> it was like Yeah. What? <laughs> you you <laughs> I don't get... know what it was, about that one that gave me a giggle. It was it, just so remarkably totally know, totally. Uh, like you
1: you almost get like sucked into the, the spell of these chapter titles where they're names or foreign words or, or, you know, whatever. And then suddenly a quote, is he dead?
0: Yeah. And it's such a, a monosyllabic innocent. I don't know. It just, it literally after the past ones gave me a, a small chuckle and I don't know why it did. It was just, it it, it was funny. Yeah. Yeah we're uh, talking about yeah so uh other words yeah other words i learned a lot of new words uh this week unsurprisingly i learned what a rude is r o o d yeah Just cross or crucifix especially and i and i read this on google especially the large crucifix set above the entrance to the chancel of a medieval church yeah hmm. Camellus. A-L-T-I-C-A-M-E-L-U-S or Alta Camelus. This is an extinct genus of camelids that lived 20.6 to 4.9 million years ago. Just sprinkled in there in case you know any other anyone else didn't know what an alta Camelus was. Camelus. I'm gonna be going back and forth on that one. <laughs> is that a kitty? That sounds like a yep, kitty. That's the kitty. Scow. This is a wide-beamed sailing oh. dinghy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what a dinghy was until a couple of years ago when I started playing GTA V. Um, nice. Let's see here. which This witch, the Cumae? I the figured Cumae-an, that was going to be a yeah. word. Yeah, Cumae. This is, uh, this is, etymologically speaking, from the ancient Greek colony. This is the first ancient Greek colony on the mainland of Italy. Cumae. That's where uh, the name uh-huh. comes from. So and, I'm keeping that in mind.
1: Uh, you will recall the Garden of Endless Sleep averns lake avernus is a a lake in, in a in italy in the caldera of a dead volcano and that's oh, why it's that a dead volcano that's why that. yeah because there's there's the sulfurous gases coming from the yeah the subterranean vents uh and that's why it's uh, there. are all the legends about the lake being the mouth of the underworld and like it kills birds and yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah, the Cumaean, um, uh, yeah, there's, uh, she, the Cumaean is, so, the Cumaean Sybil, uh, is a character in the Aeneid, and she escorts Aeneas to the underworld by way of Lake Avernus. Okay. In the
0: Okay. Aeneid more context I love it yes. good yeah ennobled uh, but well, oh, well sorry,
1: let's, let's keep talking about the garden of endless sleep here oh so you've we got already sleep. had a discussion yeah. about the jungle garden uh, where there are some questions about what was actually going on with the hut was this time travel was this time and spatial travel? Is is this, like, a magic spell that's capturing people and trying to, like, turn them into actors on a stage? But here again, Hildegren brings up the fact he's like, I think we, like, may actually be on the other side of the world. That that this place was created so that the Cumaean and the Autark don't have to travel across the world to see each other. Right. Because the, the implication given there is that the Cumaean does not leave her home.
0: Yeah, that was and, told by uh, yeah. Hildegrin, wasn't it? Wasn't that Hildegrin's story? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay.
1: And so the Autark has this built, and and it's like, is this built for her so that she can leave her home but have the exact same home on the other side of the world? Or is this built so that there is some sort of translocation going on? you know huh. it, it's again it's that that mystery and and we know because these gardens are made with Father Anire's mirrors and we know that the mirrors can have some sort of faster than light travel going on like
0: there's some quantum
1: funkiness yes as they say huh. yes so just just another thing to keep in mind as we're moving on
0: hmm uh, yeah. What else do you got? All right. <clears throat> so I like I briefly mentioned, ennobled to ennoble something as a verb. As it sounds, it, it's yeah. pretty easy to figure out through context to give a noble rank or title. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard it employed that way. Um, this one's going to be awkward to pronounce. I'm uh, too pronounced. Wow, too pronounced. This is. I'm going to spell it first: L-I-M-N-E-D, and I want to say it's pronounced through just uh, trial and error. Limned. Limbed, yeah. Limbed, that wouldn't be L-A-M-B-E-D though, it'd be so awkward to, you could easily confuse it for like phonetically for limbed, l i m b e d. Huh, okay.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's to like outline with light.
0: Yeah, uh, I looked at the definition, it says uh, verb to depict or describe in painting or words, which light would do. That would be the Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, context yeah, here, is, yeah. This is definitely a, a word that I know you've read before cuz it's it's in um it's used to describe the nimbus
0: around uh, an Aes Sedai at least once in the Wheel of Time. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So teenage Rob just glossed over that one and then same with adult Rob every time he read past it. Okay. All right. <laughs> that, that's absolutely something I would do though. Um Gone Fallon. Gone <laughs> This is my, uh, Gonfalon, I think this might be my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I wrote this one down to use it, specifically that I because I want to use it now. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of banner, uh,
1: but yep. it's specifically, like, uh, to go back to the Wheel of Time, um, the cover of the Path of Daggers, the banners that are hanging from a, a cross post. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a banner or pendant, especially one with streamers hung from a crossbar. Yeah. Nice. Uh, going forward, Effer, or... The plural here effers Ah, uh, yeah
1: it, it, so it's used to describe so i don't know what the word is but it's used E-P-H-O-R. to describe the like yeah the guy the the sort of like referee on the sanguinary field let me let me look it up well i'm sure you have yeah.
0: a oh i have a, a, a uh, just yeah yeah uh, one a of judge. five ancient spartan magistrates with power over the king or modern a government official in greece yep Yeah, a Greek judge or referee. Yeah. Easy enough. (laughs) I learned the word atrox or atrox. I want to say atrox. Uh, Ah, yes. This means heinous, cruel, severe, terrible, frightening, and dreadful, and or dreadful. And I suppose with the suffix, es, indicating the plural, it's being used as a noun here. Because I forget the actual context. Uh, Yes, it.
1: it is... Uh, most likely in this context, it is being used to describe a cat. What? Uh, I thought so it was like... there is, yeah, because it's in the context of uh, when it's used, it's the innkeeper at the end of Lost Loves saying like, okay, if everybody stopped to get dinner here, I would have sold this off long ago and I'd be rich and I'd have a stone house and and I'd have an Atrox at my side and guards with knives to you know, deal ah. with people who annoy me. Uh, but so there is a an Ice Age giant lion called Felis <laughs> Atrox, an eleven oh foot long lion.
0: Did you get and this from the Lexicon Earthus?
1: Yes, this is from Lexicon Earthus. Oh, okay. so that is. I thought you just knew be, that. Uh,
0: okay. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, um and and so the, uh, yeah. Um, see, yeah. And and they go on, so it quotes the whole thing. Um,
0: if everyone who came
1: tarried at my inn, why it wouldn't be my inn? I'd have sold it and be living comfortable in a big stone house with atroxes at the door. Yeah, I knew it was and fun. yeah, yeah, and yes, Severian. And here, so the the idea is like he would have either like guardian cats or like gargoyles of
0: cats. That's, oh. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've only got a few more. Um, this next one's going to be, I think, my hardest to pronounce because it's spelled P-A-G-N-E and I want to pronounce it pain. A G N E. This is a loincloth or a grass skirt. The quote is her red P-A-G-N-E. I want to say it's pronounced pain.
1: Uh yeah Pony. the lexicon earthus does not have a pronunciation for this word. Uh I have no idea how you would pronounce that. Panya maybe? Panya? Yeah. Maybe Panye? panya? Pa- I don't pain pain. I don't think I don't it's know.
0: Pagni. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I really doubt that. <laughs> oh boy. But nice. yeah. Pogni. No. Um misericord or misericord this is my favorite. I, I, this is actually undoubtedly my favorite this week. Misericord. This is a long, narrow knife used to deliver the death stroke to a seriously wounded knight. The blade was thin enough to strike through the gaps between armor plates. That's just a cool word for a cool concept. Morbid, but interesting. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nicknamed the Dagger of Mercy because the sight of the uplifted weapon caused the intended victim to surrender. Interesting. Whoa.
0: That's like metal as fuck. Okay.
1: <laughs> a dagger with um, a stiff diamond cross-section or three-sided blade used to dispatch a man in armor by stabbing through
0: some chink, usually in the armpit. <laughs> That's cool. Um, okay, this hmm. one is this one's also another nightmare to pronounce. Machicolation? Machicolation? M-A-C-H-I-C-O-L-A-T-I-O-N. And I have the definition, but I want to hear what the lexicon Earthis has to say about that one. M-A-C-H... Spell it again. M-A-C-H-I-C-O-Lation. L-A-T-I-O-N. This word is not in the lexicon Earthis. I may have gone dyslexic and misspelled it just like I did monomachy. Monocomy? It was monomachy. Uh,
1: yeah, um, this this word does not appear in the text. You made me think of machinations.
0: Uh, don't think that was it because I wouldn't recognize machinations.
1: M-A-C-H-I-O-N-A-T-I-O-N-S.
0: I'm going to search this up. Uh, up so, up.
1: Oh, this is interesting. Um, machianations in the Lexicon Earthis this is a not uncommon garbling of the word, machicolations. The stone balconies ah. projecting from castle walls from which the yeah. defenders can <coughs> drop right substances upon the
0: heads of storming parties. I love near that word. Near the beginning of chapter 26, Senate. You don't know, yeah. she swung about to face us, when the machicolation of the city wall appeared to touch the edge of the solar disk. A trumpet, so Sada so, so, yeah, machicolation's um, there, but it's... Wait, 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 wait. In your text, it says Machicolations? No, Machicolation. M-A-C-H-I-C-O-L-A-T-I-O-N. I'm reading it right now. Fascinating, because in my text, it is Machianations. What? Uh, Surely, okay. I'm going to take a picture of this right now, and we're going to put this in the uh, Inking Out Loud Discord once this episode comes out, if we remember.
1: Yeah, this is cool. You don't know, she swung about to face us. When the machinations of the city wall appear to touch the edge of the solar disk, a trumpet, the first, is sounded on the sanguinary field. Is that the quote you're talking about?
0: Yes. (laughs) You don't know, she swung about to face us. When the Uh machicolation of the city wall appear to touch the edge of the solar disk, a trumpet, the first, is sounded on the sanguinary field. Chapter uh, 26, Senate. Huh. We just found Discord in translation across uh, format. What is going on? Yes,
1: indeed. Uh, that reads to me that somebody in a subsequent edition of the book saw the word, decided it was misspelled, and fixed it.
0: Mm, not, because, not, you don't do that with Gene Wolfe.
1: Yeah, because for sure in the Lexicon Earthus they have nations. Yeah, uh, Machianations, and and that quote, again, repeated, Agiatel Severian, when the Machianations of the city wall appear to touch the edge of the solar disk, blah, blah, blah. Wow,
0: well, uh, this is going to be interesting follow that up. Yeah,
1: I don't have well, my physical copy of Shadow of the Torture on me, but I'm going to look that up afterward as well.
0: I'm concerned. That's really funny. Riverside is showing me peaking almost every time I raise my voice, but, hmm, okay. My gain is all the way down. No, you're good. Um, All right. Osler. I did not know what an ostler was.
1: Uh, it's a O-S-T-L-E-R. truncated for hostler. It's just how oh. he talks. What? Uh, yeah, it's just how that guy talks. So Wolf writes or Severian writes their accent
0: into their dialogue. Oh, oh, I have a whole style point about this. That was just, uh, okay. Got you. All right. Yes. Yeah, All right, this no, is just say no more him saying we'll hostler, but we'll, he... we'll get there. With uh, Hildegren. Okay. Awesome. I didn't realize that was part of the... Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You just, like, unlocked that door in my brain, Drew McCaffrey. Yeah. Renaissance. Speaking of unlocking doors in my brain that I forgot that I had, I actually... I'm fully aware that I have actually brought this word up before. I had just forgotten what it meant. I saw the word and went, Oh, I have actually brought this up on Inking Out Loud, and I forget again what it means. So I had to look it up a second time. Becoming active or popular again, yeah. After being dormant, this is the end of the second last chapter, I think.
1: Uh, this uh, is another one that I you can pretty easily break it down based on the kind context, of the roots yeah. and and prefix re you know again and then
0: nascent, uh, underlying like to be born. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, got you, got you. Um, I love that word though. <clears throat> it is a good word. Gamboge gamboge gambogi <laughs> i really g- doubt I, it's that last one yeah i'm pretty sure uh, it's. g a m b o g e this is gamboge. a gum resin it's uh produced by various eastern asian trees used as a yellow pigment and in medicine as a purgative
1: huh this is interesting uh, apparently Uh-oh. it shares a root with the uh the country named cambodia
0: what which is where that resin comes from Oh, Eastern Asia. Okay. Interesting. Huh. That's another uh, bit of insight from the lexicon, I, I imagine. Today I learned. <laughs> <laughs> T-I-L. Now, um, C-E-R-I-S-E. I want to say this one is cherries because I... Cerise. Cerise. Please don't tell me that's how that word is pronounced when you I, describe... That's how
1: I've always pronounced that word. A,
0: a bright or deep red color. Yeah. Because I saw that and I, I hadn't known the word before used in English diction, but I, it wasn't surprising when I looked it up. I, um, I know that's a French name. It's usually a French name, but it also translates in French to cherry. So I was not yeah. surprised when I saw. Oh, it's a bright or deep red color. Yeah, to- totally makes sense. It's also like a pet name in French in some cultures. Like it, used, it is pronounced. It's... cerise. Really? Mm-hmm. Cerise. Okay, I can get. I can get by cerise. So, I,
1: I've actually known about this word for a long time because of beer. Uh, there's a um, Crooked Stave Brewing Company, I think it was. They have a a, Ceri, a Ceri, cherry sour named cerise.
0: Ah. Cerise, cerise. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's also very close to cherry, which is used as a pet name like sweetie or cherry sure, yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cerise, a bright or deep red color. And then my last was Gryal there, but I had written down to fizzle, yeah. crackle, crumple, a harsh grating noise. So that's yeah, the end yeah. of my learned words. Besides Senate, I totally forgot to write down Senate because it was a chapter title and I forgot about it in that chapter. So uh, characters. Moving yeah.
1: Um, as always, we're going to start off. How you feeling about Svarian? Hmm.
0: <laughs> I don't want to say. <laughs> I'm a little I'm not still a, frustrated. Still not a fan still being stuck behind the eyes of a hormone ridden teenager. It's just the number of times he returns to waxing rhapsodic about how she looks and whether it was fully clothed or naked and exposed or naked just for him or when, and I quote one side of her, her face lit by the last light of the day. Even then I had lost in feeling, or sorry, all I had lost in feeling for her came back, doubled and doubled again. I'm just like, yeah, dude, (laughs) I get it. I really get it at this point. Can we continue? And then there's and some yet, really... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. At the Take key moment, he resists. Right. But this leads to so much more tension going forward, which frustrates me. It's like, I feel like if he wasn't resisting so much, we could get past this. <laughs>
1: I bet know. it would have screwed him over.
0: Well, possibly.
1: Because he didn't but... still lose the duel. <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah. Because the whole point of it was that Agio was trying to manipulate
0: him. And... Well, did he lose the duel, though? Because he... Well, got back to his feet, and then his opponent fled.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, so, in technically, he won the duel, but... Oh, man, I, I, I... So, there's this is one of those mysteries that does not have the answer yet. And unlike okay. the Dorcas thing, the clues are not really there yet. What, whether like, or not he won the duel? The clues are there, but they are extremely well hidden. Or about uh, what
0: really happened. Huh.
1: yeah. Um, okay. we'll talk about this next week because we will find out what's going on, or we will be given the most important clue uh, that I can then talk about, but, but yeah, he, if the expectation was that he was, that he had lost the duel, that, you know, he's like on the ground with an avern leaf in his chest and, and that he's going to die. And that's why, Mm -hmm. you know, is he dead? And, you know, those things always kill. Um, Says, yeah, someone answered matter-of-factly, that's it, those things always kill, unless you want to see them drag him off. And then the Septentrion's voice, oddly familiar, said, I claim victor right to his clothing and weapons. Give me that sword.
0: Yeah, like, he's definitely not moving he definitely appears dead but i've seen people in a faint that appear dead for a few moments i mean i don't know i i'm really confused about this whole the avon as uh, the, the plant as in general because he immediately assumes and this is what i had referred to earlier he said we wanted to wait until uh a little later to discuss this the uh the presumed extraterrestrial nature of this flower I, immediately upon seeing it Severian just like oh yeah this is clearly alien and i'm like uh, why i just don't he he goes on about how he it it obviously um from another sun i think he says and he's talking about spectrum of uh, spectra of light that that's beyond seeing and i'm just i don't get it the immediate assumption that this is alien uh
1: i mean i i don't see any reason to doubt that it's alien it it's but... coloration it, the way it acts clearly doesn't you haven't Jive seen deep sea creatures that
0: look alien as well? I mean they're uh, the life fact just that, does the this. fact that only a
1: very specific kind of grass that also clearly is not, is also alien is what can live why around this that the moment they're it touches alien. normal grass it kills like a whole swath of it. Like
0: we have symbiotic you know, life in and, on Earth and, with different species. Nah. why is the grass also alien? Did I did I miss that? The grass is also clearly alien?
1: Yeah, Severian talks about that when he goes to Pickett, where he's like, There's a but, whole patch of weird grass around it.
0: Yeah, because I'm, I'm doubting his interpretation can't. of yeah. the plant being alien. So obviously, I, I would feel doubt like his this is one of those grasses.
1: situations where you're having a hard time, like, getting it through your head that this is sci-fi, not necessarily fantasy. But because, like, I does, know you've had problems does... with like the fact that there's been humanity has traveled off Earth and come back and terraformed sure, things, sure. and like, this is another like, this is an
0: alien plant because we trust. Severian's word that this is he just immediately recognizes something alien.
1: No, because right? it was transplanted as an alien thing into the botanic gardens. These are all alien things? All of them? No, not all of them, but many of them are. And mm-hmm. this specifically was because it was created to kill everything terrestrial that tried to invade this botanic garden. It, well, f- for that purpose, like.
0: Oh, yeah, shit. that's why okay. they planted
1: the Averns, was to kill the things that were trying to get in and mess with the bodies.
0: Okay, okay, so we did, okay, I got you, I got you. I, I thought that that was just like um an accident, or it's like on like display, in like in kind of like a museum kind of setting, but if it's like, huh. Let's, okay. uh,
1: let's go to the Lexicon Earthus, so I'm actually curious to see what... Uh, yeah, because he sees it. I, I, it.
0: I I thought um, he was being figurative when he yes. says it seemed alien, like, you know... Uh, The the Lexicon Earthus entry,
1: an artichoke-like plant of extraterrestrial origin, grown in the botanical gardens of Nessus and used as a lethal weapon by duelists on the sanguinary field. Its sharp petals are incredibly poisonous to terrestrial life forms. Blah, 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 blah. Father Inire had them planted 40 years. Ooh, I'm going to not read that. (laughs)
0: that's <laughs> ah, oh, okay no no, no. I, all you needed was the first few words if directly yeah. in the lexicon on earth as it says extraterrestrial origin 100 okay I, right there my arguments shut down i'm just immediately he i thought he was being figurative Severian, when he said it just seems alien or whatnot because and then you know we get later again referring back to it whether the avern is deadly to life of its own world i have no way of knowing and i'm stuck going oh he he's being literal Yes. Oh, oh yeah. okay, I thought he was being figurative, but this is actually of extraterrestrial origin. How does Severian detect that it immediately? So there are a lot of so things... many creatures that you and I would look at and think, oh, wow,
1: that's surely got to be alien. Um, as we go through this series, there are a lot of things that will show up that are alien, that have been transported back to Earth after humanity yeah. has gone out and come back.
0: Got you. Okay, I just had yeah. to set that straight. Okay, I have to continue... I have to remember that continue... Uh, continuing forward okay yeah, yeah. okay, okay. And it, i think like, that's that.
1: one of those things because like, the way wolf starts this series off starts this book off with like a locked and rusted gate and like guards with torches and swords and spears and and you're in a citadel and an acropolis. like all of these are signifiers for fantasy medieval styled fantasy and then you have to like read between the lines a lot to start mm-hmm. figuring out that it's science fiction that yeah. like you have to struggle with the idea of like, you know, what is magic and what is science? What is science? That's just so far advanced that it's indistinguishable yeah. from magic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. And that so was the, an obstacle for me, just previously. Yeah. yeah. And I just, uh, I, I can accept that. I, I hadn't realized that, that, you know, going forward, we are also presuming alien contact or at least alien life being discovered Ooh. and then being integrated with oh yeah everything that he uh, had going forward. So now that that's set references... straight,
1: uh, I think I remember, uh, in fact, one of the words we talked about, I think it was in our second or third episode, cacogen. Do you remember that? Vaguely, like yeah. The, the literal definition of it is like dirty born. It's it's like a, a word used for like mongrels.
0: Or, uh-huh, you know,
1: yeah. Uh, but in in the context of this, that's termed for alien people who live on Earth and are looked down upon by humans.
0: Oh, okay, again, alien being literal in this case, not just extremely mm-hmm. odd and foreign and unrecognizable. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so like, we,
1: uh, this isn't like a massive spoiler, I <laughs> think so I'm willing to go into it. But uh, the whole thing with Votilus and his rebellion against the Autark is that humanity has basically regressed, like lost technology, and humanity is earthbound for the most part again. And Votalis is angry at the Autarch for letting this happen, and mm. he wants to supplant the no. Autarch and recreate a new age of human space imperialism, basically. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, to recapture well, the glory it, it, years of humanity dominating the
0: stars. It might even be like a style point to consider how much. Hmm. Uh... You know No, no. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for an entire... <laughs> yeah, I'll save that for an entire separate thing here. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're still on Severian, technically. We're still on our, our character, Severian here. I just brought this up uh, as like, a, oh, what were we talking about with... Right. Um, um it, So he... He does
1: kind of triumph over his biology by resisting Agia's advances. Um... And how do you feel about the way he's acted with
0: Dorcas with Dorcas in particular? I think he's not, uh, I don't feel he's giving Dorcas or at least the Dorcas mystery, the enigma that is Dorcas, that the attention it deserves for his immediate future. Because I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a girl that apparently vanished or uh, vanished, appeared from thin air. (laughs) You say the opposite. Mm -hmm. And, and, immediately impacted his life in the most meaningful way possible this early into his story or whatnot. I just, she, a uh, uh, Dorcas for me, just as an aside, is the most important mystery so far. So I, I just, I'm frustrated with his constant uh, returning to, uh, I don't know. His, his hormones over the actual mystery that's happening in his, in his life. He needs to give Dorcas more attention. He needs to hear what she has to say. He needs to tell everybody else to screw off for an hour while he sits down and has an actual conversation with her about what she knows because she clearly knows something. And it's frustrating me that he's putting that on the back burner for things that are in some ways just putting it on the back burner because he's got things to do to go off and
1: participate in a duel to the death that he assumes he's gonna lose
0: he's gotta do that but he's also (laughs) not everything around that he's not giving her any time because ajia's in the room for example it's uh, that's 110 percent of his attention and it's a little frustrating
1: i i I mean totally understand a girl that appears out of
0: nowhere to save your life hours before your end of life potential duel he, he
1: thinks he's gonna die in a couple hours he doesn't care about like solving a mystery of this girl because what what effect is it going to have on his life? He's going to be dead in a couple hours. He just wants to like get laid and go die. But
0: at the end, he also triumphs over that biology. You said that five minutes ago. He triumphs over that yes, when well, he sees the note. He does. So he where's does. the like because he thinks is... the note is about himself. He thinks the note is about himself at this point. This is before
1: mm. he's read the note. I'm just and he really thinks it was a place on where him. only he could see it.
0: Try, like yeah. There's it pisses me off that he can triumph over his biology for the note, but he apparently can't with Dorcas, who is apparently clearly knows something that he doesn't know. And is telling him, listen, I love you. And this, and that, it's just like, I don't know it, that alone, her appearing to save him. And, and this mystery that, that we get to, to, to think on over just, uh, I don't know. I want him to give uh, Dorcas more attention. Well, you will get he that. hasn't been, And he hasn't been so far, but yeah, I'm only five chapters for, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: Now that he's through the duel, there's going to be a lot more attention paid to what's going on with Dorcas. Sweet. Uh, Good to know. Good to know. But yeah, um, yeah. I think Severian in this, uh, the biggest thing for me is how he shows mercy to Dorcas. That he doesn't send her off despite Agia. Like, yep. demanding it, basically. And eventually he threatens to strike Agio. She doesn't yeah. cease, right? Yeah. um, And and he, you know, even though Severian is, in a lot of ways, a very self-centered person, he has these moments where he kind of breaks out of that shell, and nearly all of them are in relation to Dorcas, where he shows her kindness or mercy. You know, the, the moments when he... He thinks and he says, you know, I would give you my mantle, but it's soaking wet and and that's just gonna make it worse for you. That's gonna make you colder. Uh yeah. you know, and he he has these conversations with her to comfort her and to kind of get help her get her grounding in the world as she's like totally he's you know, disoriented
0: and shown and, his version uh, of mercy before. I mean with Thecla, even. He's he's definitely got this side of you know I don't know. I've seen it. I have seen it, but yeah, uh, it, there's a little bit of a different situation
1: there because Thecla was a prisoner, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, true, true.
1: But but, but it's tough for to Severian to save
0: her mercy. Yeah, or, or you or, know, he yeah, still
1: has that problem of trying to view everything in the world as a torturer relationship, you know, and and so that's why he doesn't ever. Uh, up up till now he he hasn't ever adopted that torturer mindset with dorcas every time he's conversing with her it is with kindness and, and with mercy he's not trying to hurt her in any way he's trying to comfort her which is a rare thing for Severian in this book where like even even his interactions with like Baldanders and Dr. Talos he's just lying through his teeth to them and immediately planning to betray them and you know I mean think about it he told uh, as of where this duel happens that's the evening that morning was when he had breakfast with Dr. Talos and Baldanders and, and yep. agreed to go meet with them to put on the play that evening so he's already screwed them over where he just like went off and did his own thing and, instead of meeting and, them for the play.
0: Yeah. Right. And like the, the serving girl too, that agreed to go with them. I already forget if we even got her name, we had to have gotten, her, we did right? not get her name. No. Oh God. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. Also correct me if I'm wrong. The, in, like counting the, uh, the serving girl and Agia and now Dorcas. These are like the literal first three women he's met since he's left the guild yeah yeah and in the guild he only really met one woman thecla. so the first woman thecla kind of came on to him through a bunch of ambiguous circumstances sure the next one uh the the serving girl agreed to go with him and baldanders and dr talos assumedly on whatever job they were doing um, the third one ajia immediately threw herself at him and spent the entire time trying to seduce him and the fourth one Dorcas literally grabbed his hand and fondled herself with his hand. So these are like the first four women he's met and all of them have done that. Like how much are we meant to take Severian's word entirely? Like, like, or Severian on his word really, because this is the way he's painting women in this world is just so ridiculous. Uh, I don't see any reason to doubt
1: the way they've been depicted. Uh, Especially because of the circumstances around them. So, for for one thing, the waitress she didn't agree to anything with Severian. She didn't care about well, she Severian was traveling
0: at all. with Doctor Talos and yeah, and she agreed like to a, go with yeah. them because he but promised was an impulsive. her
1: and and uh, he promised her a massive amount of inv- advancement and improvement in her life. Uh, yeah,
0: That's to the her, most-
1: Severian didn't matter at all.
0: Yeah, um, and Agia, yes, like, she's okay,
1: trying okay. to seduce him, but she's trying to seduce him because she's setting him
0: up for death and robbery, which is why I got like, really excited when you brought this up before the whole, the heist with, with her and Agilis yeah. and, and everything going on. I went, oh, okay. That makes so much more sense considering something I'm going to bring up later <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I was, I'm kind of like really questioning, you know, Agia just throwing herself at him. But with this explanation as to her motivation for it and this whole scheme she set up makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. It's like, yeah. with
1: with Dorcas and you know Dorcas this is a woman who so. is like lost in the world and this is the only yeah. person who has given her something to something concrete to hold on to and find her bearings so it it, it makes sense in that way that yeah. she would feel attached to him and then Thecla of course like what options did she have <laughs> hmm. she yeah. she was you know she saw him as somebody she could potentially manipulate to get herself out of prison and being tortured but yeah. we'll we'll talk thecla more later on really there's okay. there's more to their relationship than he's talked about so far
0: did we did we want to talk at all about severian's hot take for lack of a better term on the nature of like traditionally enforced duels to the death when he's talking about monomachy versus like uh simply allowing a... murderers to do their deeds you know in the dark and then hunting no, go ahead uh, yeah, I had
1: this down for a miscellaneous point, but we can talk about yeah. it right now.
0: Yeah, you can see the twisted logic resulting from Severian's experience, his immersion in this world, in this society. And it says a lot, I think, about his fatalistic attitude. Yeah, you know, he, he he's got like a
1: really forward. cynical outlook on...
0: But, on, like, wow, man. there's so much nuance that he's completely missing. And it is nuance, but the magnitude, the volume of nuance that he's missing is... Staggering. I just, I love
1: the, the, the huge leap of logic where he goes, if we don't allow duels, if somebody slights another one, then it's always going to
0: end up in murder. That's <laughs> like fatalistic. I'm just like, yeah. what are you on about? I can see how, if these are your assumptions, this would make sense to you, but we have to work earlier than that on your assumptions, mister. Like, <laughs> and then he's this got is... this like brutally pragmatic
1: outlook on, on duels where he, where he says, uh, most likely, the winner of the duel will be like stronger and smarter and better useful for the species, uh, better used or yeah. as a as a soldier.
0: <laughs> well, he even talked about how he would have felt absurd examining a woman on the subject of combat. like he immediately equates combat readiness or or combat ability to this progression of the species and everything like it's so indicative of his upbringing, but at the yeah. same time it's it's i'm it's holding him back a lot. Really well, so is. there's a great irony
1: watch. in that as well because so the context when he thinks about how he would feel foolish uh it's when he's picking his avern and he's thinking about like he wants to practice with it and 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 like get an idea of which which one to pick because that'll be you know to be better for the duel and he thinks about how he could ask agia but decides no like i didn't want to look foolish examining a woman on on such matters but like Agius is the one who's been an expert on Averns and this duel the whole day and he's been mm-hmm. getting information mm-hmm. from her the whole yeah. time. Like <laughs> Yep.
0: Yeah. I just No, no, There's a lot of contradiction going on with Severian, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. He yeah, he's absolutely is
1: a is a character he's of a,
0: contradictions. He's a character of contradictions, a character of layers and a character of just frustration for me but at the same time you know it's he's a he's a great character i'm I'm definitely not going to say uh, oh, this character i can't stand reading him i he's he's a bad one i'm just there's a lot to take in and there there's is. a lot i'm going to be sitting on and sifting through with severian going forward <laughs> and it's frustrating me just in the amount of complexity that gene wolf has put into this character
1: oh yeah oh yeah um okay uh do you have any other characters you want to talk about in particular oh hildegren you said you want to talk hildegren
0: i did actually i still want to really briefly talk about dorcas first just in in talking about like what she means to this plot here like i don't i don't know what's up with this girl i feel like she's she's a big deal to the center plot but i i don't know uh I, I'm getting serious time traveling from the future to save you vibes. and I don't know. I don't know why. I don't recall what gave me that impression. The way she just literally appears from nowhere. This is obviously all written before I had talked to you about Hildegrin's gotcha, wife yeah. or not. Sorry, but like just the old yeah, man's I'm, wife. Yeah. The old man's wife. Um, I don't know. She seems to know something deep about Severian and claiming that she loves him. I got the, the feel that this was like, this was not an impulsive thing. This, when she said to him, I would not have stood in the way. I, you know, I, I it had the the ring of. I've been trying to find the right way to say this all day. So the like the the mystery that is Dorcas, I'm just so focused on, and it's basically my entire investment in the series right now. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, well, yeah, um, the, she so.
1: certainly is a a walking mystery. And but now are... that
0: you've you've discussed the old man's wife and 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 his nickname. For her cast and yeah, but okay. there are
1: still there there's still a mystery going on there. Like
0: yeah, well, there's so much going on. I'm so excited to learn that, and I'm kind of like after especially now that the, the duel is done and then Severian's been giving me a lot of just contradictions so far. I'm just like, dude, let's stop about your hormones and let's discuss Dorcas. Let's focus on Dorcas. Give me more information about Dorcas. <laughs> so, I'm hoping we get that yeah. going forward. Hildegrin. All right, so I did say I was going to talk about this. Um, he's a delight. I want to spend all day listening to Hildegren and his esoteric rambling. Um, The voice, and this is like, this is my style point here. The voice that Wolf employs writing this guy. You were talking about how uh, Severian's interpretation of how he's speaking phonetically, like, you know, Comer instead of the word Coma, for example. Volcano instead of the word Volcano. Uh Severian, who is far more literate than I am, far, far more literate than I am, still interprets the other man's grammatical mistakes. Despite the fact that they are they, they phonetically speaking don't matter, um, when he's talking about this volcano, uh, he he describes it and I have the words here supposed to look like the mouth of a dead man. If it was, they'd of put it in his teeth, not have, but of. Oh f yep. Severian in this moment is hearing this mistake and directly repeating it for our own benefit on paper, and I just love that so much. What everything this says about Severian and the character of Hildegrin art is just yeah.
1: and and it also says something perhaps in the favor of Severian having if not a 100% perfect memory an incredible memory because he is writing the way like the the tone and inflection and pronunciation of how these characters how these other people right. talk
0: that so in particular clearly, stood out to him yeah. Even
1: to this day, where wherever he is, you know, writing this down, he vividly remembers the way Hildebrand spoke and his words and his pronunciations.
0: Yeah, because you know, in that moment, that Hildebrand didn't say, obviously, didn't say they'd have. You also know that he didn't, you know, uh, put it into a contraction, they'd have. You know that he said mm-hmm. they'd of. You know that, and it's such an it's such a, an incredible thing to be translated across some ambiguous amount of time. It yeah. says a lot about Severian as well, as uh, just as much as it does about Hildegrin. So it's a lot of fun. I love that bit of character work with that one word, OF, and he managed to do something with two characters, not one, but two. And it was great. I just I It was chef's kiss. So, yeah, so that was my point about Hildegren. It's an
1: interesting
0: um, like, authorial tactic to
1: phonetically write dialogue like this. Mm-hmm. I have found... It, it it's kind of hit or miss for me. Uh, I've read some books where it got really old really fast and it just became a hurdle to me Uh, because, because of the way I read, right? Like, I don't sub-vocalize when I read, but this is written to be sub-vocalized, right? Like, you're supposed to read it and hear it and kind of, like, feel the, the accent. And... Yeah. And it can provide flavor, but sometimes in some books, it becomes like obnoxious to me where I don't like having to kind of slow down and deal with thinking about the accent. And, and then in others, it's, I don't know if it's because it's just a lighter touch like this, but it doesn't jar me as much. And then I've seen some books like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example like um, uh, Starfighters of Adumar. Uh, it's one of the X-Wing books, for instance. Uh, in, in this story, these X-Wing pilots are going to a, a backwater planet and the people there have a really like rustic backwater accent. And the first like couple of conversations they have, these... Uh, the accent is written phonetically. And then once the author kind of assumes like, okay, you've gotten the point, you have it in your head that they talk this way. Then he starts writing all of their dialogue normally. And I really liked that. Whereas like, it gives you that flavor in setting but it doesn't make it a long, drawn out, frustrating.
0: Thing really, but read. then he, he has to decide on where the average reader is going to pick up on this and and adjust to this. That's so interesting.
1: Well, well so what he sa- like what he does is instead of, for instance, the way um the way in Starfighters Batamar, um like, uh e's like flat e's they pronounce as flat a's. So instead of red, they'd say rad. Ah. And so he spells it out that way the first few times, and then he'll give you a periodic reminder. Like, even though the dialogue is spelled normally from then on out, sometimes in the description of the speaker, he'll indicate this is a native speaker still speaking with this accent. Okay. And like, you know, where, where there will be like a twang to their words or something like that. And so he you know- gives you those those kind of touchstones, but he doesn't have to write obnoxious phonetic dialogue for the entire book.
0: Speaking <laughs> speaking of phonetic dialogue as a character, as, as a character trait, for example, and I, even though we're, I'm referring to a time when it was, I believe done very well, it just didn't land for me. Cause I don't, I don't really like that particular quirk of dialogue. I'm thinking I might've had a problem in the silver spike by David Farland with the narrator's voice case. Oh, I think I vaguely recall bringing up a, a slight issue with like, oh, this is it's it reads very authentic, it reads very organic, and it's very easy flowing. I just don't like this accent, and I, 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 am hmm. like only ten percent, twenty percent certain on this. But when I think of a of a character that, or a narrator whose voice yeah. kind of stuck out to me and like a kind of burned me the wrong way, I think Case from the Silver Spike stands out i
1: think that vaguely rings a bell uh, but that's interesting because w- that isn't even an authorial thing that's an audiobook narrator thing
0: wait was it it was an audiobook narrator like because
1: you did the audiobooks for the black company i
0: did but i hold on hold on so hold like whatever I, I did it for all of them
1: yeah because like whatever uh accent the audiobook narrator is using for case that's not necessarily an indicator that Glenn Cook was writing his dialogue
0: phonetically. He didn't write case uh with like a kind of country backwater accent or something like that. So he there are some bits
1: as case is learning how to write that he starts off with like a little bit of a rustic turn
0: of phrase.
1: Oh, if he's learning but, to
0: write that makes sense though.
1: Yeah, cuz he he only learned how to write in the
0: previous book. Huh. I, but, okay, it might it might not have been case then. I'm I'm I'm, I'm probably losing which book it was that I had read considering we're like,
1: <laughs> anyway, well over yeah, 200 episodes
0: uh, into the podcast, but yeah. Uh,
1: but so on the topic of Hildegrin though, uh, I like mm. how he's, he's clearly up to something dodgy here. Like his, his card, uh, his calling card is like, you know, excavations of all kinds. And, uh, uh, by a single digger or 20 score stone is not too hard nor mud too soft you know and uh and it's interesting that the two places we have seen Hildegrin so far have been yep, in a yep. graveyard and in a lake where they bury dead people yep 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 <laughs> and Hildegrin talks about like oh there are other entrances in here that you don't know about like oh my god this he did. Dude is is up to something
0: I totally forgot about that.
1: Uh, uh, less than legal. <laughs> and oh. he specifically has a boat that can carry the weight of four people. <laughs> oh my god. You are blowing my mind right now, dude. Yeah. because the right. first time we see him. We see him helping Vodalus and Thea steal a body out of a grave.
0: Like... Yep. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That had made sense to me and I connected it to the lake after that. I totally forgot that he had brought up the alternate routes into the lake and yeah. oh, the fact that his and, boat can fit four bodies. <laughs> yeah, and so you get excavations of all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad you brought that up. I can appreciate that now. I like I had missed both of those.
1: And then yes. when Severian brings up Vodalus, Hildegren's just like, Nope, don't know what you're talking about. Get off my boat never talk to me again. Yep. Like, <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> Lots of unpack uh, there. Ugh. Well, that's that wraps up my characters for discussion. I just have miscellaneous at this point left. How about you?
1: Uh, Yeah, I just have miscellaneous as well. Mm. In fact, I'm not even sure how many miscellaneous
0: points we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> really? I just have two, one of which is a small quote and one of which is my passage of the week. Okay. Okay. The small quote, of course, one I just loved so much. Her face was drained of its wisdom, which condensed in crystal drops at the corners of her eyes. Mm, yeah. Such a beautifully constructed, written, and delivered sentence with so much meaning at this particular moment. It, oh. Those are that's, yeah. that's 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 verbal magic. It is. It really is. Um,
1: so i do have one more miscellaneous point this is just a uh one of those one of those moments where you you just kind of have to stop and laugh at how screwed up severian's outlook on women is
0: oh i think i know what you're gonna say Uh okay it's it's this
1: passage when he's comparing love and desire
0: yes okay Yep. you got it (laughs) yeah this
1: is page yeah if we desire a woman, we soon come to love her for her condescension in submitting to us. Yep. This, indeed, had been the original foundation of my love for Thecla. And since if we desire her, she always submits in imagination at least. Some element of love is ever-present. Like,
0: oh my gosh, let's unpack that uh, messed yeah, up psychology. I didn't know if I wanted to. This I, I had written this down. This was in my e-reader version, my <laughs> ebook, page 416, page 416, because I knew that there's a good chance we're going to, we're going to bring this up. Um Yeah. Like, and it's all yeah. because his first and only
1: up till now, like interaction with a woman was with Thecla in a very screwed up dynamic where she is a prisoner of the torturers. And he, so like in this very specific circumstance, he represents authority and, but he doesn't really have power in the situation because he's basically a child. And she is this like elegant, noble, literally huge six foot 11, you know, beautiful woman and, and has all the knowledge and experience and worldliness. And so Severian sees their,
0: interprets their relationship as her condescending to submit to him—that was the word, that the problematic word that immediately made me stop and decide, because I was already primed going into this. I'm like, oh, this sounds a little sensitive, and it was the word condescending, or yeah. condescend. I was like, okay, condescension, yeah. That was condescension. That was the point at which I went, oh, yeah, this is where going exactly where I thought it was. So I'm going to stop and write this down and see if Drew wants to bring this up. I was going to just let it fly, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, it yeah, was, like uh, that.
1: Just another example of how screwed up, like these. These kids are being raised among the torturers and, and now, not having any like healthy now, interhuman relationships.
0: And of course, of the four literal four first women that he meets outside of the guild, or actually or sorry, is inside the guild, three of them have so far thrown themselves at him and just like I, I Right. So and, this is not doing anything two of them for of is we're doing
1: it to manipulate him for ulterior motives. <laughs> this is
0: not doing any favors for his p- relationship with women going forward, which is already a point of contention yeah. for me, so it's it's kind of, that particular part of his character is not giving me a lot of hope.
1: But Yeah, it's but but this is one of those things that, like
0: it's it can still easy. be written well.
1: Yeah, like it's yeah. easy because he writes with such authority to just read through it and be like, "Oh yeah, sure." and then move on and just agree with Severian because he writes with such force. And, and he, he writes it as if this is like an indisputable fact. And, and so it's only when you stop and think about it that you realize like how screwed up Severian's outlook on, on people and on women and on life in general really is. And, and you realize, Oh, he does need to grow and change to become a better person. This is not the simple, like backwater, you know, good, good old boy from a farm. Yeah, off to, he needs to you know, have an adventure become. and be the chosen one, like as much as some of those signposts are there. And Wolf is aware of that.
0: Yeah, he needs to do that kind of growing and maturing to become a better person. But what's to say that he's going to become a better person? He could become someone despicable for all that we know. I mean, I'm only so that's that is the
1: foundational question of the book of the New Sun. Is can a terrible person become better? Can a terrible person be redeemed? Hmm.
0: So much more to unpack there as we continue forward with this series. Yeah. So much more. Um shall we go into our favorite passages or do you have any more miscellaneous that you want to bring? Uh go for it. So we've already talked about my favorite passage. So Right, right, right. My favorite passage is my favorite passage. I you know, I'll, I'll explain why afterwards. Um it's just yeah, okay. So okay. here we go. The increate or increate maintains all things in order, surely, and the theologians say uh, sorry, theologians say that, that light is his shadow. Must it not be then that in darkness order grows ever less, flowers leaping from nothingness into a girl's fingers, just as by light in spring they leap from mere filthiness into the air? Perhaps when night closes our eyes, there is less order than we believe. Perhaps, indeed, it is this lack of order we perceive as darkness, a randomization of the waves of energy, like the sea, the fields of energy, like a farm, that appear to our deluded eyes, set by light in an order of which they themselves are incapable to be the real world. That is my favorite passage, simply because I have no f***ing idea what he just said. (laughs) I could not parse a single bit of that even after Um, three rereads. And so I decided instead of reading it 10 times, I'm going to use this as my favorite passage and just unpack this with you. What the hell did he just say? So basically, we can go through this bit by bit if you want.
1: Yeah. It's, it's this weird kind of philosophical outlook on, um, like equating order and chaos with darkness and light, and yeah. That, okay, right. Yeah, it's so like that. In the absence of light, things must tend toward chaos, and so he he starts taking this like and light, literally.
0: Light gives and, order to chaos, is what I get out of this. Yeah, but it's yeah, so and
1: that weird. in in darkness, things have to be more chaotic, and. Like, again, this is one of those things that he just kind of states as if it's an absolute fact. As it, right. But, but really, it's just this is Severian's personal outlook on like the philosophy of
0: if good and evil and, and if, order and chaos. If this was a rumination, I wouldn't have brought this up. But this was stated, and I was like, okay, I'm missing something here. <laughs> what is he talking about? I, I just, it, uh, okay. I, it's beautifully And I love written. how he so
1: uses this whole thing, this whole like theoretical uh, labyrinth of philosophy to justify the fact that Dorcas pulls a, a water hyacinth out and puts in her hair and he doesn't see any others around and he's like because it's dark in here thus doesn't it make sense that she just like pulled the flower out of nowhere, out of Right. order out of chaos
0: yeah i didn't see it happen so it's magic like yeah I, I, I don't know it says a lot about severian's affirmations of reality and what he considers to be true based on his interpretation of things i don't know right
1: and then he has another conversation with or Dorcas his understanding later things. yeah uh about like uh, how there must be this balance between good and evil and that's that's the point where um Dorcas puts his hand on her breast where she's making this point about how there has to be a balance between like external goodness and internal goodness. And she's like, so I, I put your, your hand on my breast. That is externally a good thing for you. But now haven't your thoughts become filthy?
0: And that sounds like that could be Gene Wolfe speaking to the reader as well, saying this is what you're focusing on reader, but what is actually also happening around the scene? What am I masking with this moment?
1: Yeah, it's like and and so Severian, they start talking about how like you would tilt things and and that like changes the balance but there must always be a balance and sprain's like well i would just tilt it so that all the all the bad stuff pours out and she's like well how do you know that it wouldn't be all the good that pours out and and you get this kind of um impossible rhetorical question mm. and they just move on past it because they they realize smoke you know, bomb like,
0: there's there's no answer to this, <laughs> yeah. So. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, shall we just go into the final draft now, my friend? Yes, let's do it. Okay, okay. So I brought on this so-called quadruple IPA from Flying Monkeys Craft Brewery. Quadruple I'm pretty IPA. sure. Yeah, I mean it's quite a psychedelic can, as you can see for yourself. Um, so I can be like normal is persimmon. weird. This is from Flying Monkey's Craft Brewer. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I've... I've uh, I'm actually certain I've featured them at least yeah. once or twice before. Yeah, you um, have. But this is uh, dedicated to a lot of our subject discussion lately. This actually was an accident. I had just seen the uh, ABV, which is 11.6% alcohol yeah. volume here. It is an extra <laughs> strong beer, as you, pro- as you guessed very well. You nailed that. I saw this one sitting in the, uh, the local liquor store, and I had to pick it up. This turned out to be brilliantly thematically linked of course to the book of the new sun um it's in it like i said it's dedicated to a lot of our subject of discussion lately we were talking about our arguments on the stage of the sun and how far in the future this this story uh-huh. is taking place and it, on this episode specifically Severian's a assumption that some flowers come from another sun's light and this mm-hmm. book is called The Book of the New Sun. I hadn't realized how well this fits. This is an orange creamsicle quadruple IPA that oh was delicious gosh. by the way, It's called Space Age Sunshine. Nice. I'm oh, not that kidding. Is that is literally what it's called. And so I will perfect. now, I wish I could drop this mic, but it's a very expensive one. So I'll just flick it. keep that in the edit there we go all right so that's what i've been drinking it's delicious honestly this is my favorite ipa i think i've ever i've ever had this orange creamsicle i thought it was going to be a lot more obnoxious a lot more sweet it still tasted very ipa just very bitter citrusy but there was that aftertaste as i was breathing just regularly breathing listening to you speak that i was like oh i I do get that bit of creamsicle after the fact it's actually kind of nice so i think this is my favorite so yeah how about yourself my friend uh, well, I am drinking a
1: non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing Company. It's a non-alcoholic Goza, uh, which is a tart, uh, yeah, German I'm not a fan style. Of um, yeah, but this one's pretty good. It's called Downwinder. Uh, I don't think there's any real connection with that, but I do have a beer to talk about that is thematically appropriate, um... And I've had this beer for a while. Uh, Again, this is one that I'll probably open up like next winter or something because it is a uh, barley wine, bourbon barrel aged barley wine. Um, Let's see what the ABV on it. 12% ABV. Oh
0: my God. Jesus, Uh, man. Even when I bring this on, you still (laughs) taught me on that. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's... uh, This was a... A special release for Corporate Ladder Brewing Company. Uh, it was uh, there in Florida. Uh, it was their, I think, sixth anniversary uh, bottle release. I had a buddy down there who picked this up for me. Uh, but this this is for the Avern. Uh, you will recall Chapter 24 is called The Flower of Dissolution. Mm-hmm. And this beer is called Dissolution.
0: Oh, nice. Very nice.
1: Yeah. And it's the label is uh you know like a starts with solid black and then it starts like fading and and, and, like splotching out into white as it's dissolving. Nice. Um, very nice yeah. Yeah, that's one I've had that in the in the fridge for a while now. Um yeah, by the time I open that, it'll I'll probably have had it for like two plus years, something like that. Um it's (laughs) nice. It's a special special occasion. Might be like a Christmas kind of thing.
0: Oh. But yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, because you know, that that sort of barley wine, that high ABV, that's something you want to have on a cold, snowy
0: night. For sure. That'll warm you up very nicely.
1: But yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. It's been what did you say? Episode 179? Yeah, the the spreadsheet says 179 for this one. Spreadsheet should be accurate at this point. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Doesn't look like it'll be off yeah. going forward um and then next up we are going to be continuing on with the book of the new sun with shadow of the torturer we're going to be covering chapters 28 through 31 only a couple more episodes on shadow of the torturer to go which is exciting uh as always if you want to support the podcast you can check us out on patreon patreon.com or on Coffee, ko-fi, ko-fi uh you know we Greatly appreciate all of that support. Helps us pay the bills and keep this thing going. Oh, yeah. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.